All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Man, it's so good to be here with you. Uh, I'm so thankful for each of you. And um, I, I wanted to start this morning actually uh, by talking to the camera because I want to shout out our North Campus. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing, you know, like I, I will be the first to tell you uh, that I don't do everything right. Um, and I think one of the misses recently in my leadership is I have not communicated enough about our heart, our intention, and where we're going with our North Campus in the midst of the uncertainty that this pandemic has created for all of us and um, how it affected our North Campus is that it eliminated our space that we meet in. Um, the thing that's been, uh, that kind of hit me this week is that we haven't met together in the North for about nine months. Uh, and it, it was shocking to me when I heard that because it doesn't feel like nine months ago. Because every single day, I am consumed with how can we get back together again. But I haven't communicated that. And, and so for that, I'm sorry. Um, and for those of you who are tuning in week in and week out, for those of you who have made the drive down um, uh, in the midst of this, thank you for hanging in there with us. And, and I want to be as clear as possible. Our North Campus is not dead. It is fully alive. And we have built a team that is spending their main focus is finding us a new location where we can call home in North Austin. And here's why. The pandemic did not change our vision. And, and, and although we, we lost, quote unquote, something, we believe it's an opportunity to gain something. And, and so where we're at is we're believing in faith. And what we want to encourage everyone in the room and everyone who is tuning in online to do with us is to begin to pray specifically, God, would you open doors that no man can shut? Because we need a miracle for this to happen. Um, and, and here's the thing. I serve a God of miracles. That part of it, I feel great about. I, I, I'm not concerned that, that if are we going to be able to see this happen. I know we're going to be able to see it happen. My prayer is, God, would you make us alive to what you're doing so that we don't miss it? Amen. And so our elders are gathering together in the next couple of weeks to spend time looking at the hard facts of where we're at financially and seeking the heart of God for where we need to go uh, locationally. And we want to invite you to join in that with us uh, because we, we believe that the North Campus was not just something that happened and then we were, you know, blessed with this incredible facility down here, but we were blessed with the incredible facility facility down here so that we would have faith to be blessed for an incredible facility up there. Amen. And, and, and so we, we know uh, that it's been hard and, and, and it's been challenging uh, to stay connected. And, and we know specifically for those of you who have kids um, that this has been a huge cost for you to not have a place where your kids can come. Youth has been challenging. Uh, everything ha has just been hard when it comes to gathering together in the north. 
But I am putting a stake in the ground, and I'm saying, but I'm not going to let the difficulty affect my faith. And I want to invite you to um, have that same mindset as well. And I want everybody who's watching this um, all the way up to Georgetown, we have people that go to our church. Um, everyone who's watching this this morning, I want you to know uh, we're coming. Okay? We will have a North Campus. And guess what? We'll have an East Campus. We'll have a central campus. We'll have a west campus because we want to be as accessible as possible for everybody in the city because we believe that heaven is in this house and we want heaven all over our city. Are you with me? All right. Well, we have been in a series of talks, if you've been tracking with us, that we're calling The Wall. This is actually week three of this journey that we've been on as we kind of tried to get clever, as I said last week, because this, this new year doesn't feel like a new race. It kind of feels like mile 21 of a pain marathon. Right, It's like it, it, all of the complexity and the division and the pain has continued. It didn't just end at the end of 2021. And so we have been looking at as a people, what does it look like for us to be a church that perseveres? That, that continues to believe big, even if we find ourselves in a season of holding empty nets? How do we stay soft-hearted and, and have big expectation for breakthrough to happen, not just in our lives, but in, in our city when it feels like culturally everything is breaking down? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And perseverance has always mattered, but man, perseverance really matters. We've been using uh, Hebrews 12 kind of as our anchor passage. But before I get there, uh, what, what I want to do is read another amazing anchor scripture when it comes to perseverance. And it's Romans 5, verse 3. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. If you're going through a hard time, you know, there's some worship for you there that's unique to your difficulty. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to hear this this morning. You're not just struggling. You're not just wrestling. You're not just enduring. You're not just persevering, you're developing. God, God is producing things in you in this season that he's going to require of you in the next season. Are you hearing me? That, that there's some things that are being done in you, built in you, produced in you uh, that, that has a purpose. And so it's important for us to be a people that stay the course, that fight the good fight of faith. And we keep soft hearts and, 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 and full faith, even when it feels like we're pressing up against a wall. And Hebrews 12, which has been this passage that's really driven us over these past couple of weeks, it really stands as both an encouragement and a warning. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses. Remember, a couple weeks back, and this is a long time ago. This is, we're talking about three weeks ago. But if you can, just lean into that side of your brain for a minute. By the way, watch a really cool documentary on neurosurgery. I think I might want to be a neurosurgeon. But so find it in your brain because it was worth it. That, that our cloud has an ability to shape our behavior. And that cloud of witnesses, this was written in Hebrews 12 on the heels of Hebrews 11, which is this, this, this absolute beautiful picture that is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. You have all these heavy hitters, and then we get, verse, we get chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, you're surrounded by all these amazing people. And your cloud is not just those who have gone before. Your cloud is those who have faith with you. And, and it's important that we don't try to run the race that God has marked out for us alone, but we do it in a cloud. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It goes on to say, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. And this is what we kind of tried to tackle last week is that, man, there are things in our lives that might be hindering us, but they're not wrong. They might not be bad, but that doesn't mean that they're good. And sometimes we can get so focused on the sin that so easily entangles us that we look over and sometimes, dare I say, justify the things that are hindering us from running the race and, and maybe running the race at the pace that God has for us. And then we get to what we have today, which is run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You know, to persevere means to persist in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. That's what it means to persevere, just to keep doing it. No matter if it's hard, to, no matter if it feels like you're not winning, we just got to keep doing it. And I believe that this verse holds in it within victory for one of the most devastating traps of the enemy that I see running rampant in our culture today. I believe that this verse, that, that running the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, holds within it a key to an absolute winning strategy against one of the clearest schemes of the enemy designed for me, designed for you, our city, our nation, and the world. And that is the trap that I'm going to call the comparison trap. The comparison trap. Let us run the race. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Marked out for who? Marked out for us. Now, look, here's the thing. I'm not a track coach. I, I confess. I was honest last week. I don't run. That's why I do CrossFit is because I don't run. Okay, running is dangerous. 
All right, now, and now here's the thing, but I did watch a couple of videos, which by today's standards makes me an expert. All right, so I watched at least two videos, which means I'm an authority on the issue. And so not only can I say it, I can tell you what you're doing wrong. I might even post a little bit about it because I watched a documentary. So if you were to come to my track camp, which I might start because I'm an expert, one of my first coaching cues that I would give you is stop looking around when you're running. That's going to be my first coaching cue. Well, why is that? Because when you're looking around when you're running, you're not going as fast as you would go if you were looking straight if you were running. I know this is complex. I, I'm, it took me a long time to get this as well. I'm an expert. It's okay. It took me about five minutes. But, but when we're not looking where we're going, not only does it slow us down, it's also dangerous. Uh, look, check this out. Let, I'm going to show you a video of uh, what can happen if you don't watch where you're going. You see it again with the music, the music makes it better. Oh, run it back. Turn it up loud. Everybody say it with me, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, oh! This, this is what happens. This, this is what happens when, when, you, when you stop looking where you're going and you veer into someone else's lane, you're going to get slammed. You, 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 you stop watching where you're going and you start concerning yourself with the other lanes around you. You are going to find yourself rolling around on the ground. Uh, look, I'm a pro at this. I actually am extremely hard at, on watches because I run into door frames. Is this anybody else? Okay, Andrew Weibel. Okay, just me and Andrew. Okay, so maybe we should get checked out, bro, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be as big of an issue as I was hoping that it would be. All right, now, because I, I will be walking through my house and just bam. I mean, I got this cool ring my wife gave me. It's broken down the middle because I slammed into a door frame. All right, now, the, but the icing on the cake of slamming into the doorframe, this one was beautiful because I, I was working at the church I was at before I was here, Antioch, Waco, and, and we had an old building, and our restrooms were broken up into two parts. There was like the sink part and then the toilet part. You guys tracking with what I'm talking about? And so I'm walking, and it was packed, and I'm walking through the sink part. I'm trying to get to the toilet part, and I'm not looking where I'm going. Guess where I'm looking? In the mirror. Okay? And I don't just like bump. Okay? You can kind of graze the door frame and, and maybe get away with it. No, I teed it up. I mean, it was like, bam! Like, it's like right down the middle, slam! And then people turned around, and I even had this dude look at me and he said, Yeah, yeah, this, that, you shouldn't worry about what you look like, son. <laughs> right? You, you don't look where you're going. It's dangerous. If you don't keep your eyes 
where you're heading, it's going to lead to some slams. And, and I, I think what I, what I want us to see today uh, is that not only sometimes do we find ourselves in the pain of trying to run in other people's lanes, I think sometimes the consequences of it are much greater than just an emotional discomfort. If you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And, and if you're new to the Bible, you're going to find this really, really quick, all right? Because it's right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 4. It says this. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Abraham, Adam, excuse me, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Can I get an Amen. Mm. Verse 1, babe, verse 1. Insert. Let's just read it again. Adam. They say never to preach just to one person, but sometimes. Adam made love to his wife, Eve. Goes on. She became pregnant. Some of y'all are like, is this church? Is this really church? Yeah. Gave birth to Cain. And she said... With help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel's and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now watch this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I want you to write this down. Comparison leads to murder. Comparison leads to murder 100% of the time. Comparison will murder your joy. Comparison will murder your relationships. Comparison will murder your thanksgiving. Comparison will murder your hope. Comparison leads to murder. Comparison kills. Comparison kills. Run the race marked out for you, not me. Run the race marked out for you, not your brother, not your sister, not your friend, not your enemy. Run the race marked out for you because when we start to compare the race that I'm running to the race that you're running, things begin to die. Dreams die, vision dies, joy dies, hope dies. Comparison 
kills our joy. It kills our hope. It kills our peace. And when we start comparing the race that we're running to the races that other people are running, things always die. Again, Genesis 4, verse 4, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, it does not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I want you to see if we were to read on, if you remember, God sees that Cain is hurting. And so God leans in and he shows him. He says, look, if you want to experience the fullness of of the favor that I have for you, it has nothing to do with what your brother is doing. It has everything to do with what you are doing. So if you want to experience the favor that I demonstrated to your brother, then all you have to do is offer me the first fruits, a good offering. What that is for us in a New Testament context is to live a fully surrendered life, not holding on to some of it because we're scared that we might lose it, but giving the best of what we have. When we do that, the favor that you witnessed Abel, that you you witnessed Cain, that your brother Abel experienced, you too can experience. God tries to show him the way. And and, and God was, was making it very clear. Look, if this is what you want, this is how you can get it. Now, I want you to see that Cain became focused about on, on, on what he was not, not on where he needed to grow. Cain didn't even hear the instruction to enter into the desire of his heart. The, the, the instruction led him to frustration. How, how many of you have ever been corrected and you didn't like the correction? And this is what can be really sneaky about comparison. This can be a really sneaky part about jealousy or envy or any of those other words that you want to throw in there in this mix. Is that oftentimes it's more about how we feel about ourselves than our desire to have something that we don't have. That's where comparison really gets dangerous. It's fueled actually by more of how we are seeing ourselves even more than how we see what other people have. And so what we do in our insecurity is we start looking into the lanes of those around us because we have a hard time feeling like we fit in the lane that we're running in. And so we start looking over here and over there. And what happens when we, when we do that is pain. And what's so interesting is that, you know, I love it when science catches up to biblical truth. Sociologists nailed this. You know what they call it in science? The imposter syndrome. I want to read you the definition, and I want you just to see if the shoe fits. This is what it says. The imposter syndrome is the feeling of inadequacy that, dis- that persists 
despite the evidence of success. Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt, a sense of intellectual fraudulence that overrides any feelings of success or external proof of their competence. If we are honest this morning, I think all of us hear a little bit of ourselves in this definition. We're so insecure about the lane that we are in that it drives us to be consumed with the lanes that everybody else is in. And, and, here, and here's why. Now hear me. I don't spend a lot of time focusing on the devil. Okay? You can. That's cool. Jesus already kicked his butt. So I don't spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out what the devil is doing because I already know that I have authority over what he's doing. And all I need to do is lean into what my God is doing and I can crush anything that he's doing. All right. So as a general rule, I don't obsess or care about darkness. I obsess and I care about light. But it's important that you do understand how the enemy tries to destroy what God is trying to do. Now, there's a difference in obsessing about what the enemy is doing and being aware about what the enemy is doing. I don't want to obsess about what the enemy is doing because if I obsess about it, that's going to take a lot of time and energy. And that's not the lane that God has told me to run in. And so I, I am going to obsess about what God's doing, but I want to understand what the enemy's doing. And what's beautiful is that the, the, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that his life, his death, and his resurrection has absolutely destroyed and given us ultimate victory. And then he turns and gives us all the authority that he has over the enemy so we can just utter his name and darkness must flee. And that it's authority that we walk in. And the Bible also tells us this is the playbook of hell. John 10.10. 10. It's very, very clear. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only. Everybody say only. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he does. This is what the devil does, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But listen, this is, this is what Jesus does. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The devil can't win the game, so he just tries to steal from you in the game. The, the, the devil can't win, so he's just going to try to steal, manipulate, and kill through comparison and destroy and distract as much as he can because that's the only thing that he can do. So, so, so we, instead of leaning in uh, to what God is doing and growing in us, sometimes we can get distracted by what the enemy is doing around us. And when, and when we get distracted by what the enemy is doing around us, uh, the, the God can, can give you an area to work on, but, but instead of, of, of using that correction to lead to transformation, it, it, it can turn to aggression. 
And this is what we see happening with Cain and Abel. Abel, I'm sorry, my notes are backwards. Who killed who? I'm all jacked up. Cain killed Abel. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. God told Cain, God told Cain, hey, grow in this area and you will experience what you need. He did not take that correction. He turned it into aggression. Why? Because he was so insecure about what he wasn't that all he could see is who his brother was. And our only solution in comparison is to position ourselves over that which we are comparing ourselves to. This is why our society is obsessed with tearing people down. This is why there are whole magazines that are devoted to stars falling in their personal lives. Because our culture is obsessed with seeing people fall down because it makes, it makes us feel like we just got a leg up. And that is comparison, and that is also insecurity, and comparison always kills. It, it always kills. And this trap has become cultural. Now, forgive me. I'm going to pick on something right here. I've picked on this in the past. Um, and, 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 I don't, I, and the reason is, is because it's, it, it, parts of this are destroying our society. I know that is a strong statement, but we live in a day and age of strong statements, so there I gave you one. <laughs> I've used social media in the, in the past as a picture of, of many different things and phases of our society and different things that are broken in, in what it is that we're experiencing, not just in our city, but really around the world. Um, and, and the reason being is because it, it's such a clear picture of who we actually are. Like the, the, the divisive, angry, mean, nastiness that you find on social media is actually just us. That, that's really just us. And look, look, I know some of you, bless you, you're like, you know what, Pastor J.D., I don't even look at social media. I don't even do it. I don't have a gram. I stay off the book. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a, look, well, here's the thing. I bet that you do that and then you compare yourself to those who do do it and you feel better about the fact that you don't do it. So can we just all say nobody is, is eliminated from this trap, even if the example of this trap, you are above. Can I get an amen? Okay. No, nobody is above it. If that was a little bit too honest, pray for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Understand, though, that the basis of social media is to paint a picture of who you want people to think that you are. If it wasn't, then we would post pictures of what we look like when we got out of bed, when your hair's all funky and your breast smells like a dragon and you got no makeup on, and we'd be like, cool, this is me. But that's not what social media is for. Social media is designed to paint a picture of who you want to be, not who you actually are. That's why people spend thousands of dollars to have photo shoots of their life. Why? Because nobody actually wants to see their life. They, they want to see the picture of their life. Right? This is the whole construct of what it is. This is why we look at it. 
This is why we spend our time doing it. It's because we are absolutely consumed with comparing ourselves amongst ourselves because we are so distracted by looking around in other people's lanes that we forget that we're running a race ourselves. And, 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 and what begins to happen, and look, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about Instagram. I'm not going to talk about Facebook because I can't do Facebook, y'all. Let me tell you why. Can I tell you why? Go ahead and start writing some of your emails because this is going to make some people angry. Just go ahead. Pull your phone out. Start keying it in. Chris will happily read it. I can't do Facebook because everybody starts their post with, I never post, but somebody has to say this. No, 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 they don't. No, no, you don't. We actually don't need you to say a word. If you start your post, I never post, automatically delete it. And then it seems like there is no civility, there is no spirit of God, no spirit of forgiveness that reigns within the confines of Facebook. Look, I, I, can I solve the world's problems real quick? Do you want to know why we're so divided and getting more divided? It's because revenge never leads to unity. And so everybody in our political rhetoric is trying to get back at what they thought that they lost, and it's only going to lead to more division. You want to know how we get unified? Somebody forgive somebody for being a person, and the spirit of forgiveness will bring unity. Side note. Okay, here we go. Back to Instagram. Let me tell you what happens when I look at Instagram. Can I talk about me real quick? Okay, I'm going to process real quick. This is me. If this shoe fits you too, cool. But when I look at Instagram, it's almost instant that I start feeling bad about what I have. Almost immediately. Like almost immediately, I start feeling like I don't look right. My, my kids don't act right. We can't keep plants, plants alive long enough. How did they grow that freaking garden? You know, what are they doing that we're not doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, you feel bad about everything. This is just me. Maybe it's not you, but me. The longer I look at Instagram, it feeds insecurity. It does not feed hope. Because it's just like every picture is who I am not. You know, you see all these, like, these, these pictures of families sitting around the dinner table. Everybody's all smiling. The food's beautiful. They're passing it to each other. I'm like, yo, if we had food on our table, there would be a food fight. Right? Like, and so you start feeling that there's distance between what I'm seeing and how I'm living. And, and that distance will cause us to begin to compare, is the lane that I'm in the right lane? And this is what comparison does. Comparison begins to tempt you to think that the lane that you're in is the wrong lane that you should be running in. And as soon as you step out of your lane, you get slammed. As soon as you try to do something that somebody else does, you're going to get slammed. Why? Because it always leads to murder. Run the race marked out for us, not marked out for everybody else. It's like God's got a race for you. God's got something for you and only you. 
And I think why social media has become so predominant in our culture, it's because we're all looking to matter. Am I significant? Does my, is my voice big enough? Like, am I standing for the right things? Am I on the right side of history? How many of you have felt some of these tensions? Like, am I, am I, do I matter? Does it matter? Like, should I want an influence or should I not want an influencer? Do I want to be an influencer? Because you see some influencers, you're like, yo, they have like a million followers and all they do is like show pictures of their butt. If that's an influencer, I don't know if I want influence. Right? And it's because we've allowed culture to define for us what significance means. If you look like this, if, if, you, if, you, if you have this, if you, if you focus on this, if you post about this, if you don't eat this and you do drink this and you rub this oil on this, then you are significant. And you're on the right side of history. And you're okay because you stayed away from these things. And how do we get those solutions? It's because we're looking at everybody else's lanes. And what's happening is we have a culture of people and we have a church full of people that are suffocating under the weight of running other people's races. And so you can desire even a good thing. Maybe you're here and you're single and like, man, I want to be married. Man, that desire is a beautiful thing. I want to encourage, man, marriage is awesome. I love marriage, but it becomes problematic when you start missing the race that you're running, focusing on the race that you want to run. It's not the desire that gets crazy, but if you're like spending all your time like looking at magazines and flipping through Instagram and all these like beautiful couples and you're like, oh yeah, woo, man, look, I can't wait. And this, uh. and then your friend gets engaged and you have to fight to get happy. It's because comparison always leads to murder. Look, if, if, if somebody gets something that you desire, how your heart feel will reveal to you the state of your soul. Somebody gets something that you've been praying for, believing for, hoping in God for, they get it, and you're over here struggling. What you feel when that happens will reveal to you the state of your soul. And it will reveal to you that you are walking in comparison that leads to murder or you are walking in generosity that leads to hope. God has a race that is marked out for you. We're supposed to run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. And you know how we do it? We fix our eyes on Jesus, and we don't fix our eyes on the lanes around us. Oh, pastor, can it be that simple? I think it can. I think it can. I, I, I think that a lot of what we feel can be eliminated on Monday if we stop fixing our eyes on everything else and start fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, I found something on my phone. And it tells you your screen time. Have you have y'all found this? Okay. Like what if we're like, okay, cool, here's the goal. I'm getting more FaceTime with Jesus than screen time at the end of the day. How, how, how much different am I gonna feel about the race marked out for me if I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus and not fixing my eyes on everybody else's lanes? Look, that's simple. Just look at your screen time. Cool, I'm spending three hours a day on screens. Cool, I'm going to spend three hours a day in the Word of God. Oh, that's extreme, but it also sets you free. 
a lot of the weight that we feel that is hindering us is, is born out of the comparison that we're walking in. That we're, we're exhausted because there's not grace for the race that you're trying to run. Oh, I wish somebody heard that. Some people are worn out because they're running somebody else's race. You got blisters because you put on the wrong shoes. You're chafing because that jersey, you hadn't fit in that jersey in three years. But they're like, well, that's what they do, and so I got to do it. No, 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 no. Run the race marked out for you. Quit looking around. Quit getting distracted by what's over here and over here and over here because comparison is going to kill you. It's going to kill your joy. It's going to kill your hope. It's going to kill your life. It's going to kill your ability to be thankful. It's going to kill your ability to have healthy relationships because comparison has to destroy that which it feels threatened by. And so the spirit of comparison is violent. And so we have to understand that it's not about trying to get tougher. It's about shifting where we're fixing our eyes. It's that simple, church. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, because there is grace for the race that God has for you. Your lane is loaded with what you need to run that race. The Bible is clear. He will not allow there to be too much weight put upon you that you can't stand up under. But you step outside of the lane that he's created you to walk in. You're no longer in his will. You're in your will. And therefore, you're subjected to the impact of your decisions. And so you might be limping along and trying to, and huffing and puffing and chasing, trying to get influential. And Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, I already made you significant. This is why I feel like social media, if I want to be really bold since I've already thrown a couple grenades, this is why I feel like social media caught fire. It's because it is a social gospel. It's because people are trying to find significance on this thing. So we're drawn to it because we have already been made significant by Jesus. And so it's just like, okay, where, where, where am I going to get my significance? You need to understand, you're, you're not waiting to get influential. You already are. You're not waiting to become significant. You already are. Your life is not waiting to mean something it already does because Jesus bought it with the price of his life. And so for you to look at somebody else's race cheapens what Jesus did for your race. When you get distracted by what people are doing around you, it steals from the gospel that, made, that Jesus made available to you. And so our fight is to fix our eyes on Jesus, not fix our eyes on those that are around us because we, we got to run the race marked out for us. Romans 12, I'll end with this, says this. Romans 12, verse 4. For just as each of us has one body with many members... And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, there's grace for your race. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it digitally. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Listen to me, there's grace for the race that God has for you. Comparison is trying to steal, kill, and destroy the race that God has clearly marked out for you. But we win. The victory is ours when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we begin to run the race that's marked out for us. And then if I'm confident in the race marked out for me, then I can bless the race that's marked out for you. I can bless what's going on in your life because I'm not comparing my life to your life. I can bless what's happening in your world because I'm not comparing your world to my world. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus and I'm looking at who he is and what he's given me to steward. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we, when we stay in our lane, it protects us. It brings security to us. It brings hope to us. And here's what I want you to do. Would you stand to your feet with me? Because I know that there is a weight in this house. There is a weight in our culture right now, and we're calling it COVID, and we're calling it politics, and we're calling it division, and we're calling it racial inequity. We're calling it all these different things, and I think it actually might be driven by the fact that we're comparing ourselves, and we're obsessed with everyone else's race when we just need to run the race marked out for us because there's grace for that race and there's grace for you to keep running. There's grace for you to persevere. There's grace for you to diligently press on. There's grace for you to keep fighting. There's grace for you to keep believing because there's enough of Jesus in your lane to continue on. Just lift your hands to heaven. Jesus, we're asking that right now that you would fill us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would run the race marked out for us. We would not get distracted by the spirit of comparison that leads to murder, but we would be filled with the clarity that your gaze brings to our souls. God, there's grace for the race marked out for us. So let us receive you, Lord. Let us receive you, God. Let us receive what you have in store for us by the power of the Holy Spirit.